welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my co-host, True Garrison. We are here. We are enjoying life. We are uh, imbibing and bibiding and all the things and, uh, you know, you know, uh, all the other ings that we've got. Uh, Drew, homie, uh, how are you doing this fine evening? Despite having a wicked case of the Mondays. I think I'm doing pretty good. And actually, I'm doing even better because I just realized something. So over the past, I don't know, I guess four to six weeks or, you know, all of our episodes this season, we've been doing video. And to a varying amount of success, sometimes it goes great. Other times it doesn't go great. Tonight it's going great because you're actually wearing the shirt that I bought for you. And it's a wrestling shirt, and it's the Mela is Money shirt. And so Carmela is a is a wrestler in the WWE, and she's amazing. And Chris's daughter's name is Carmela, so of course I had to get him the Mela is Money t shirt. And um, and I had like all these other things to say, but as soon as I saw that t shirt, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about <laughs> the Mela is Money t shirt. Um, but no, think things are good, man. Uh, I'm I'm excited about about tonight's episode. We have some fun things to to talk about. The restaurant act has been has been passed. You also have um, some new things coming through California legislation that hopefully will help some restaurants recover. And keeping up with the with the trends is we have another amazing guest this week and it's actually someone who who our listeners have heard from before but it's been a long time since they've been on um this person is a former bartender at chicago fire pizza and current line cook at snug jr um our guest tonight is buddy newbie buddy what's going on bud hey guys how's it going yeah a long way you know from bartending to line cook Oh, good. It's been a journey. God damn it. Uh, that caught me totally off guard. I love it. that's how you chose to get introduced. <laughs> that's ex- no, no, no. That's I picked it for him. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, I, I live to throw, to throw buddy off with the things that I say. And I was like, I bet this gets him tonight. Good. Um, good. So, so buddy, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. Uh, your insight is always appreciated on, on the podcast and you've, you've given, you've given us some really great insights in the past. And so I, I assume that'll be much more of the same today, but for some of our new listeners, why don't you, why don't you tell us what you're drinking and then also give us a little rundown outside of just, um, you know, bartending at Chicago fire. For sure. (laughs) Uh, tonight I am drinking plantation rum, the original dark overproof actually. Uh, I got a bottle of it from Terry Lee Mosley uh, the last time I saw him, which was my last shift at Jungle Bird. He came and brought me a bottle, and he was like, they don't make this anymore. And I said, oh, that's cool. I have three cases of it in the other room. <laughs> but it was a nice gift from him. And so I decided to open this because last yesterday was his birthday. So happy birthday, Terry. Oh, and Terry. Uh, 
I'm also drinking Liquid Death Mountain Water. It's uh, sparkling water that I quite enjoy. It's called Liquid Death. Liquid Boy, Death. Talk about setting like it's just like, hey, definitely drink me. Yeah, <laughs> murder your thirst is their uh, their little <laughs> theme or whatever slogan. Oh my <laughs> gosh! And got a bunch of metal I, themed. Uh, like I gotta say, man. On the video, I know, I know, our listeners can't see it, but I like that. Um, it's got like this. It's a it's a white can with gold, uh, uh, gold lettering, gold accents, what have you. Uh, and and with buddies, like quick sips. I legit thought that you were drinking like Colt forty five. Yeah, kind of looks be, like, it like could be that. <laughs> I was gonna be really, really impressed. It's, it's like an exhaust. It's incredibly buddy He's, thing to do, but also like. It's, <laughs> you know what goes really good with liquid death a t-shirt well the t-shirt but he is wearing a t-shirt that says liquid death since we're all talking about everybody's t-shirts hey, now. he's repping um, he's repping hard yeah, yeah. but um what goes really well with with liquid death is casa sanchez chips and salsa they're really really good and they pair very well with with liquid death um so outside outside of that buddy you you're also one of the um, one of the, the the guy who's one of the guys who started Jungle Bird in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. You're really responsible for a ton of like the the tiki movement in the Sacramento uh, area, and now you're you're working with the Devere's group, which is a really really fun group in Sacramento as well. And you have some really cool things going on there. So you know you bring this you bring this lifetime of experience to the table as a you know as a bar owner as a bar manager as a bartender and now currently um and i think this is great right now you're working as a line cook with with devere's because you wanted to learn all aspects of the business and that was one area that you were kind of like i don't know what the hell is going on so you wanted to learn which is amazing yeah yeah and then like i said uh henry and simon were, were like just yeah we love that idea get back there and so I, uh, I don't know who, how many people know this, but I was also working at Home Depot briefly. Um, I, I I knew that. I didn't know if you wanted that. to tell everybody else. No, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it was to a point where, you know, bars weren't open. I wasn't working. And I, I was getting maybe one or two shifts a week here and there, you know, not getting a ton. And I needed full-time work. I got kids and a, a house and things to take care of. And, you know, one or two shifts a week doesn't take care of those bills. Uh, so I got a job at Home Depot and Trevor calls me one day and he's like, you're working at Home Depot? And I was like, yeah. He's like, quit doing that, <laughs> basically. And he said, you know, I got something for you. And then, you know, uh, when I met with him, we talked about Snug Jr. and the possibilities there. And then the next day, I think Henry offered me, after we had spoke offered me the position of going in the kitchen and, and starting to work and train with Wes in the kitchen. And just to, just so everybody knows. So, um, so Henry and Simon Devere are, are obviously the, the owners of the, you know, Devere's, which is an Irish, Irish bar in Sacramento, but they also have the snug. And then they've been doing um, snug junior over during the time of the pandemic. And then Trevor is someone that we've actually referenced a few times on this, on this podcast. And he's uh, now kind of looks like he's kind of fallen into like a beverage director role for all the bars now. And is very hands-on with everything he does. Um, Trevor, also Trevor Roche, Easter Roche, for those of you. Trevor, so yeah. Uh, so they also, they also have Rochambeau, which is the, which is the newest one. Yeah. Um, which is a natural wine bar, which but, is really appropriate 
considering what I'm drinking tonight. But um, so so that's so that's awesome. So and and I will say that you know I did I did know about the Home Depot stuff when we were talking about it, and I yeah. do want to share this this brief story where um, you know we went out and we we're just grabbing a bite, and you were talking about it, and you again kind of given the whole spiel of like yeah you know i got i got bills to pay and stuff and of course there was no judgment coming from me and then you went on to say what i really like about it is i just show up to my job and i just do it and nobody talks to me and then i go home and they pay me it's the best (laughs) and you know you can imagine as a as a bar owner for as long as you were like you get everybody's complaints uh not only from from customers but from staff as well so I'm sure to be able just to go do something and then walk away and have no skin in the game. Like no one's calling you from Home Depot. Be like, buddy, what do we do? You're like, I don't know. I don't get paid enough to, to deal with that. I don't get paid enough to care. <laughs> uh, no, hey, Chris. Nice. <laughs> Chris, what are you drinking? Oh, buddy. I. Uh, that's funny. I said buddy, but I was you know talking to you and not buddy. Uh, I am drinking the offering from Sans Liege. This is uh, one of the top award-winning wines uh, from Wine Enthusiast of 2019 or 2020. I can't remember, but this uh, this wine is fucking delicious. It is a blend of Grenache, Syrah, and Mouved, and it's coming from the Santa Barbara Mountains. Uh, it is fucking lovely. I really enjoy this. Uh, ate it, drank it also last night. I didn't kill a bottle last night because uh, I'm trying to be a good boy. Um, but uh, <laughs> I drank it last night. Uh, Jen and I opened the bottle uh, and Jen had made uh, this lovely, like uh, creamy shrimp and pepper um, business with, uh, with pasta and it was fucking bomb. And this, uh, this wine was lovely and I'm gonna, uh, I'm just uh, going to keep drinking that. Right to the face. It's also got a really, really cool bottle too. Cause it has like this metallic like sheen to it. So no. the, the it's like two hands holding a bushel of grapes and it really pops on the eye. Cause I know I picked that one up and as someone who, um, who typically goes into wine decisions with first a price point, um, second very closely to that is what does the bottle look like? And, <laughs> um, I gotta say for the most part, it has, it, it usually works out in my favor. You know, as long as I apply the the price point first, if I, if that, if that happens first, I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to walk away with something somewhat decent. And if the bottle's cool, I'm definitely going to be happy. And it's a, do you think, it's a very Do you cool think bottle. applying, applying that same standard to books would work? Like, all right, I don't want to spend more than like a $20 on a book. This cover looks dope. Hmm. There's really and good you, books that don't have like, and then you and then you end up with like uh, like DIY auto mechanics or something like yeah. that. <laughs> I think that I think the tough the tough thing with books is there's so many different ways to digest them now. Yeah, whether you're not, it's you're not actual just hard, checking them. Yeah, whether it's a hard copy, digital, you know, or audible. At this point, is there's there's too many factors that that play into it. I mean, I'll say this. I went to, I went to a bookstore. Oh gosh, maybe about six weeks ago and it was Harry Potter themed. So my wife was in heaven and, um, there was, it was, it, it was a hoarder's dream and anybody with OCDs nightmare because there was just books everywhere. And when, when you're around that many, and it was somewhat 
organized into different sections. But it definitely did get to a certain point where, I mean, I, I'm not the type of person that has like a like favorite authors and stuff like that, or or even those things like yeah, I just I'm I'm interested in certain genres and whatnot, and I'll just kind of kind of go from there. So in that scenario, it's a hundred percent what is on the cover because it's like I don't know much further than that. So it's like if you're not if you're not conveying the message through the title or some critics review or what, or some amazing artwork, like I'm probably not going to pick your book because that's just, uh, you know, there's this funny thing where like, if you pick up a book and you turn it over, there's like a paragraph or two that tells you about the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of reading. It's a little too involved for me. (laughs) That's a lot of reading. <laughs> <laughs> like standing around reading the back of books all day. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, hey uh, Drew, I got a question for you. Sure. Shoot. What are you drinking? Oh, man. I'm glad that we finally hit that sound drop because we've missed it like the last three or four weeks. That was really... Um, just going to shove it right it in there. It was great. You, you nailed it. I uh, currently have out the the Tesva, um, the Tesva Chinnery, and this is a this is a Georgian wine, and it's really interesting because it's kind of a, it's kind of like a gateway wine for Georgian wines, which I really I, I love gateway spirits wines and stuff like that. That doesn't really run you right up to how intense it can really get. So. On this one, it's this indigenous grape that that they work with, and um, you know the, the Georgian wines. You're you're also talking about natural wines, and you're talking about uh, skin contact and things like that. And you know, with the skin contact, it often leads to uh, orange wine. So anytime that you hear people talking about orange wine, it usually has to do with skin contact. This one, they do do some of that, but they do it for a much shorter amount of time, and it's also with a grape that doesn't that's more. Um, yellow on its skin and it's a and it's a clear uh pulp as well so it doesn't really impart that much color onto it so you get more of like this yellow almost like a like what you would see out of like a chardonnay like a deep chardonnay or something like that and um and the way that they describe it is 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 as that is like a it's kind of the precursor to the georgian wines or to the natural wines i just love i love ones like that and it's got a you know it's got some good body to it anytime that you have a skin contact wine where even though it is a uh, lighter color, it's it's still got enough body to it, and and I just really really enjoy this winery's wines, like whether it's this one or their amber, um, and then there's another one that I can't pronounce, but it's like they're it's like a super super deep dark red uh, wine. But so yeah, that's what I'm doing right now is the is the Tesva, and it's just a super super dope dope and fun wine that. I just I can't get enough of their stuff and just continue to stick with that Georgian stuff is where where I'm at with my drinking career right now. I think Georgian wines are fucking rad because um, uh, it is that they all seem to sort of be very rustic right now. Uh, It's a wine region that is quite literally steeped in history Mm. and uh, and is very unique in their in their winemaking. but they're totally. Like, I mean, I mean, we're talking like vineyards that go back how old? Well, so I, I think when you when you say rustic, it's it's really interesting um, take on it because 
this is really a um, a region that has been trying to rediscover itself over the past 10 to 15 years, really legitimate. And I, and I think the 15 is, is even somewhat of a stretch. Um, and, and I know, I know how this sounds, but I was reading, uh, it's like the world of wine book from the culinary Institute of America from 2002. And again, I understand how that sounds, but reading it, they were talking about Georgian wine and there was nothing to say. It was like, you know, this is a, this is a region that was ravaged by communism and um, it's also a region that historically, I think the capital city of Georgia has been burnt to the ground like 17 times in world history. Like it's just a place that just constantly got conquered. And um, and and as of more recently, especially with like the the communist influence, you know, they had a lot of a lot of vineyards that were ripped out and then replaced with a variety of different things but a lot of stuff was streamlined and industrialized and so this is a country that despite being really the birthplace of wine and that's and that's backed up by the dead sea scrolls is that it does it's been struggling to refine it, its identity and and what they did was they went back to these old methods so like with this one in particular what they're doing is they're using quivevries and quivevries are these big clay um jars essentially that you know full-grown man can jump into um but they're underground and that's how they age they age their their wine that way or their age and they also ferment and, and everything like that and so it's yeah it's like to your point i mean it's it's using this really rustic style but it's also part of this rediscovery so there's in 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 its flavor profile it seems new and it seems like there's in there in this path of discovery, but then there's also like, there's obviously this very, very rich history. And I think there's also, you know, I think they've, they've discovered over 500 different types of grapes grow in the country of Georgia, which is just also bonkers, you know, as well. So it's just, it's such an interesting uh, region and it's, at this point, it's uh, it's become their biggest export has been wine, and it's been really fun to go through the stuff that's in my portfolio, but as well as you know some of the other ones that are in other people's portfolios too. It's just a really, really, really cool stuff. And um, and and again, if you're talking about trends and things right now, like people are very into natural wine, and I know I've said it on on the podcast before, but you know, in in Georgia, they don't refer to it as natural wine; they just call it wine. So the natural part is just the, mm-hmm. it's just the byproduct. It's not really anything. Um, too, I mean, so, so you meant, so you mentioned uh, uh, Georgia being the birthplace of wine and mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So just for a point of reference for people, Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were, were written approximately between uh, 408 BC and like 320 BC. So that just gives you some some realm of reference that we're talking like over 2000 years of winemaking within this region. So like in California, when people talk about like old vines in, typically they're talking about like 10 years on those vines. So just to give you just to give you a point of reference on 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 sort of what we're what we're talking about here, there's this there's no shortage of heritage that's involved in in this wine trade that's happening out of the coming out of this region yeah it's it's nuts and it's also like a country that has all these different uh microclimates in it too and it like 
it's able to support a lot of different styles um, of wine production. And they're still definitely part of the industrial uh, um, wines as well. But even like the big industrial wines, they're, they're now doing like special lineups of like Quivevery wine and things like that, which I think is really cool. Like when you have your guys who, who don't necessarily need to do it differently, um, also embracing some of like the, their heritage and stuff like that, because again, you know, the, the, when you're talking about these old vines, there's really not that many that are that old. I mean, there's one vineyard that we work with that is around like 50 years old, but most people lost their vineyards during the 80s, 70s and 80s when the communists came in and ripped everything out. And, um, and like I said, they tried to industrialize it as much as possible. Um, buddy, so you're with being involved with the DeVeers group. And like we said, mentioned earlier, Rochambeau, have, have they put you on any crash courses with the natural wine or, or anything like that? Um, they have not. Um, that's uh, not my area of expertise. So they, they, uh, they haven't got me onto that one yet. Uh, I've been to Rochambeau a few times and I've actually started dabbling in wine. I'm, I'm not well-versed in wine at all. We used to have wine classes at Chicago Fire, as you mentioned, and uh, often I would not go to them because I didn't care. <laughs> and I would get chewed out the next shift, and they'd be like, why don't you come to the class? I was like, because I have a full-time job. I, I don't know. I can't come to your classes all the time. And uh, <laughs> um, so I uh, I just started learning little bits and pieces here and there. Um, but it's uh, it's a new category for me, for sure. Well, much much like mezcal, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna go through them all together, and I'll be I'm your I'll be your mezcal in in wine sherpa, and then all the things that I get wrong will go to Chris, and he'll correct me on yeah. the wine stuff. So it'll be it'll be good. But you know what? I I, I think it's I think it's time to uh, to move on to our opinions on facts that we heard from reputable sources. So for the <laughs> keep going. I'm Ron Swanson. It's three times the charm. So you know, the, say the way. best part the, the best part about that is the first time before it ran, even before we got to the third time, like Chris both looked up and just like threw his hands up as if we had control over the soundboard. Like, are you guys going to hit the button? It was just like, we don't have the button. Like, oh, no. The button. no, no, I hit the button, but nothing was happening. And there, there, had like a little delay. I was very confused. <laughs> and then it happened many times. So, it's, careful what you wish for. <laughs> this, this well, goddamn yeah. soundboard that we actually don't have that we need to invest in. Um, maybe Casa Sanchez can help us out there. Or liquid death. Um, so, our first our first story tonight is, it, again is a little bit of good news, and as everybody is aware at this point, is Congress and uh, 
President Biden have signed in the new COVID relief bill. The difference this go round in terms of our industry is that there's actually money set aside for restaurants, whereas in the first bill there was not at all. Um, it looks like there is there was a, an additional like three point six billion dollars that was added to this in order to help restaurants, and it uh, the legislation calls for distributing the money and grants up to five million dollars for restaurants in need or t- or ten million to operations with multiple locations. Um, to be eligible for this, the the applicants must uh, show some of the sales from the 2019 revenues and compare them to 2020. And then about a fifth of the of the funds were established for restaurants who their 2019 revenues were less than five hundred thousand dollars. So it's not just like your big big huge restaurants or anything like that. Um, my question to you guys when it comes to to this being passed is, is this a little too late? Is it just in time? Is this what's going to keep places open? Um, buddy, what do you think? Uh, I mean, definitely it's late. I mean, we have, we've lost great places because of waiting around and waiting for something to happen to, to bring some sort of relief. And, and those places are now closed and this money is not going to do anything for those, those places. Uh, obviously it's going to, help some places but the places that i think have been who who are still open who who are maintaining um all it's going to do is make people rich they're not going to put money into the business and make it better i mean do you see that happening realistically i mean i i see i see maybe some owners getting getting a fat little chunk of money but not necessarily reinvestment into the restaurants themselves some, or staff or anything. Yeah, yeah, some will, but but I mean, as it, as it is now, you see the the hiring spree that's going on. What kind of what kind of an incentive is it for a, a restaurant owner or manager to be like, oh, all you brand new people, here's here's a brand a big chunk of change we're going to give you because you're new. Uh-oh. I guess that's true because it's like if you think about it in that sense. So you know, you you take the big hit in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're getting handed potentially this big check to do with what you see. Please, like you're not going to retro- retroactively go and pay all your employees more than likely, right? No, no. You know, go and do that. Like maybe portions of it for some of the restaurants who maybe you catch up on bills or, sure. or something like that. But there's yeah. still going to be, you know, a ton of a ton of money left on the table to kind of be like, all right, what's what's next? Um, I mean, Chris, my, what do you think? My opinion is just. I'm sorry. Based, go, keep going, buddy. Oh yeah, sorry. My opinion is just based off of the fact that you know, if people, people places are maintaining, their bills are paid, or you know, for the most part, um, if they're still open, then their bills are being paid. Now, there definitely there's there's going to be some debt that's involved for some people, and that's going to get them out of that debt, which that's great, and that that is helpful. But I also see the funds, you know, stuffing in pockets too. So. Go ahead, Chris. My my apologies. No, don't don't apologize. Um, I think I I'm not sure how much I agree with Buddy. I I mean I think there's definitely going to be a few a few owners because there always are there always will be those greedy those greedy few who just like take that money and put it in their pockets. I think though to your point, Buddy, where you were talking about um, bills being paid, I you know I. As you know, I can I can personally uh, 
uh, I guess, like, you know, you know, uh, say a test, a test. Thank you. <laughs> fuck. I mean, personally, a test. Jesus Christ, words are hard. Uh, that, right. you know, if I had that money, which I won't get because not a restaurant, um, it would go to paying off all my vendors who I've, I, over the last year, I've, I've accrued a ton of debt with, um, and I'm desperate to get out of it. And I'd be, I'd love to be able to like pay off, uh, you know, uh, you know, our loans and whatnot that we've, we've been asking for extensions on. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it depends on, you know, every, every place, every restaurant has its own, you know, issues that it's going through. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think the, the stuffing of the pockets is going to be a really limited, um, you know, phenomenon. Yeah. Well, no, and I, I agree. I, I know, I know, you know, a lot of places have racked up debt in, in many different ways with vendors, with, you know, maybe even, you know, getting rent pay, you know, back backlogged from, from, uh, landlords and things like that. And, you know, people have to pay that back. Um, and, and it's not to say that, that those, you know, those won't get paid and people are not going to do what's right. I mean, obviously they're going to pay their debts. I'm just, I'm kind of just more speaking on a, I guess a general term that like definitely there's going to be debt. There's things that are going to be taken care of. But I, I think that if you're still maintaining good business or, or maintaining a business at all at this point and are still have your doors open, that you have some of those debts caught up on to some degree. Yeah, I think I think maybe where where it could be used is, um, you know, there's I've heard this from a couple of different places at this point now where a lot of people's tax payments were pushed back even further. And then now, in the, at least in the state of California, um, the ABC is now approaching people being like, if you don't get caught up on your taxes, you're going to lose your license. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, they've been able to to handle that debt and pay it off. And for others, I think. I think this could be the um, relief that they need in order to get that. I mean, I think there's still a lot of changes that a lot of these restaurants are going to have to undergo over the next six months. And even in California, as we trend towards opening, you know, more and more as, as weeks go on, the, the issues that you're going to have um, when it comes to, Outfitting your restaurant to make it "quote unquote" safe, uh, adding different places. I mean, we're going to talk about it in the next story in, in terms of some of the changes that are going to become more permanent. But it's like you know, how are you going to be able to attract more staff, buddy? You mentioned that there's there's a big hiring spree right now, and that's that's absolutely the case. And you know, one of the one of the things that I've heard is it's been tough. Is like, okay, well, how do you get people to come back if they're making more money? uh with the with the unemployment right now and stuff like that it's like well this this could be one of those ways is that you know there's not a there's there's been a there's been a big public outcry with the with the minimum wage going up but i think buddy we actually talked about this offline you know obviously weeks ago and you're like i don't understand what the big deal is like that's like two more dollars than what we're paying people anyways in california so like we'll be fine here like that's not a huge that might be a big deal in arkansas not here you know um but but I think you know maybe maybe funds can go that way maybe um, for people who are going to be changing concepts 
you know, to not be caught in a vulnerable state again, this could be something that they could do, or, you know, it creates a, it creates a parachute for them where it's like, we're going to set this aside because good Lord. I mean, it doesn't seem like this is a, will this happen again? It's like, when will this happen again? Sure. You know? And um, so I think those are, those are a lot of factors that play, that play into it. I mean, again, I, I think it's, I think it's crazy that it, this is happening now as opposed to whenever we got the last, the last stimulus package signed, which I want to say was back in like, what was it April or May of, of last year. And then now we're almost to a year again and, and you're getting the second one going and, and hopefully this does keep places open because, you know, had you asked me a week ago, especially with some of those, those tax, um, outstanding balances that were coming due is like that. I don't think there's, I think there's a lot more closures coming, sure. you know, yeah, and, sure. and, and they're on their way. And, um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens like similar to the PPP loans. It's okay. You submit all the paperwork, you, you get this stuff in, is this going to run out again? Like it did with the PPP loans. Yeah, yeah. And do you have places like Shake Shack that are getting approved for them, you know, be. over, yeah. yeah. Or over other restaurants. Right. So, um, I mean, there's still a lot to be, a lot to be shaken out and hopefully more good comes from the end. And, and like anything else, there's always going to be people who, who take advantage, but, um, I think, uh, I think there's, there's a lot of good stuff coming. Chris? I think, I think that there's, um, a, a few aspects here that we haven't touched on, which are a, uh, d- you know, yes, revenues have been down, not, not across the board. Um, but you know, more off than not revenue has sort of been down. We, we do that. De- we definitely know definitely. there are a few, there are a few places that have thrived, they have done very well during this time um, and they don't want to be dicks and like go out and be like, ha ha, we're rolling in it. Ah, cash and dead checks. Ha. Ah. Right. Um, but more often than not, there's a few places, most places aren't doing well. And and that's twofold. It's not just because revenue is down, but it's also because they have to spend money in order to like create that outdoor dining space. Right. Sure. So we're not just looking at reduced revenue. We're looking at a, a higher expenditures as well. So I think that's definitely something that uh, gets, gets lost in, in the calculus here, I think for, for the, the lay person. Um, and I forgot my second point. Well, I mean, you bring, you bring up a good point there too, just because the amount of like to go stuff that people have had to buy boxes, utensils, things like that. You're not using plates and silver that can be washed. They're using one and go. And then, you know, that's, more cost too on top of everything that you're talking about. So, I mean, you make, make a good valid point there. We were instructed not to say like, we're good after things. So you just kind of go quiet. Oh, and then, okay. and then we hit that. Probably well, should have told you that. I'm like, huh? What, what's going on here? <laughs> you're like, was my point not good? Sorry. Should I, guess, I... I guess I'm an asshole. I'll shut the fuck up. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That's exactly why we asked you on here. That's perfect. <laughs> so I've been looking forward to taking this out on you for years. Just look real pretty um, there, buddy. So the so our second story tonight is is 
in relation to what we were just talking about, and that's just another relief package. This one, however, comes by the way of uh, more of a focus on or a complete focus on California bars, restaurants, and music venues. Um, this comes to us from uh, California Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco, and this is the SB three one four bill that he is going to be introducing and. To give kind of like some highlights, um, what they want this bill to do is is to help alleviate some of the 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 pain and the burden that our restaurants in California have endured over the past year, and and again music venues. Um, but it's going to some of the things are make permanent the temporary uh, regulation of allowing significantly expanded outdoor restaurant bar seating. So like all those temporary stuff that you saw, we're gonna. We're going to uh, hopefully get that to be a permanent thing. And this is one of my favorite parts about this, but it, it describes it in the in the proposition as um, this has allowed restaurants and bars to survive and has been wildly popular with the public with a more European feeling street life, which I just think is hilarious. Like that's you know like they're they're selling us on this concept within this within this little brief, um, but it's also going to uh, help expedite the issuing of alcohol licenses. Um, it's going to allow entertainment venue liquor licenses to be set up by different cities throughout the state. Uh, it's going to allow two different restaurants or bars to operate the same location with different alcohol licenses. And it's, it's just, there's, it's basically just like a loosening of the rules to make things continue to be easy. There hasn't been, uh, I don't see anything when it comes to like the to go cocktails, which I think is which I think is pretty significant, and or um, selling bottles at re- you know as a retailer outside of the restaurant, but um, but there are a lot of really good things here. And so, uh, Chris, I know you're really high on this whole thing. What is your favorite part of this potential um, bill that is that's that actually has bipartisan support right now? Oh man, the the whole thing is it's all like common sense shit, um, which I've been like yelling and screaming into the void about for so long. Um, I have this, I have this, um, this issue where I get really irritated with puritanical bullshit. Um, it like it drives me up a fucking wall, like as as if like four walls and a ceiling somehow make you a more responsible human being, uh, and like somehow saves the general public from whatever you know atrocities you might you might uh, uh, create in your consumption of booze. I, I I can't stand it. So the fact that they're like that that there is a legit bill. Uh, on the on the assembly floor for for the state of California, that not only takes care of you know allowing outdoor dining to be a thing, as well as shared space, which also I didn't know was a thing until I read this. I didn't know that that was an allowance with it. What you know during our our COVID times, um, so that's fucking cool. Um, you know so. For people listening at home, that means, you know, like a, um, a wine bar and a cafe can share a patio, which prior to COVID wasn't a thing, you know, because they were concerned about uh, uh, minors being involved in some of this as if cafes can't also already serve alcohol. There's a lot of common sense shit in here that's that's just like that. And, and this is wonderful, um, as well as expediting the issuance of alcohol licenses. 
capping it at at six months because some for some reason some of these things can take up to like two years and that's goddamn insanity when you're just dealing with government and just like fucking drive people out of their goddamn minds just beating their heads against the walls just trying to get their their business and their dream open um uh creating a difference uh, a separation between an entertainment license having it an own license being an entertainment license versus like an attachment onto an already existing license so it, it is it it's its own category now um there's numerous instances that I could cite where popular bars, uh, old bars, bars that have been sort of like grandfathered in that have been around since like the fifties and sixties, um, get, get, uh, taxed. And then all of a sudden, you know, ABC guys show up and say, well, you haven't paid your, you know, your entertainment license. So this guy playing this acoustic gar- guitar in the corner here, you know, you owe us a few thousand dollars now. Like what the fuck? Like we've been doing this the entire time and laws like that are just getting stripped away in this. And so you have like entire venues now that are just going to be classified as entertainment venues. And it's fucking rad. I am of two minds of this uh, and I can go on a much longer rant if you'd like, which I'm sure no one does. Um, uh, I think, Alcohol licenses should either be one license or like, let's break it down. So the way we all get caught up in a whole lot of less red tape. Like I'm all about efficacy here. So if, if you tell me that an entertainment license is its own thing, fine. Entertainment license is its own thing. Let's do that. Uh, Or I'm of the mind that we just consolidate all of them under just like, Hey, here's an alcohol license. Do with it what you will. Either way, I, I'm great. But the the current system we were sort of working on under, where where there's some obscure concept of like if your speaker reaches a certain volume, then all of a sudden you need a you need a special license, it was kind of bullshit. Um, and I'm I'm pretty stoked about everything in here. And honestly, I think I think if you give a shit about restaurants and bars, uh, do yourself a favor look look up SB three one four. I will also say that every time I read um, a Senate bill as labeled as SB in my head, I always read it as small batch. It's just a thing. <laughs> uh, um, but do, do yourself a favor. Look up SB 314. If you're about it, which you should be about it, because uh, it's fucking rad. Uh, reach out. Uh, um, tell your tell your local assemblymen, whoever, whoever your elected, elected officials are, that you strongly support this. Like We need to get this thing passed. Uh, with flying colors i'm with you drew on on that um uh, to go cocktails i think that that's i i imagine that that's gonna be that was left off of this because that was probably more of a nuanced discussion and they wanted to push this through uh quickly i find it hard to believe that to go cocktails are gonna go away uh i'm just that's just uh, they've been so popular and um have they haven't led so to mass hysteria. Issues. No. You know? I mean there was like there was an incident probably about like seven months ago in LA where LA, you know, like folks in LA were just taking to go cocktails and just drinking them on the street and, and you know, lining up curbs, but 
you know, you really haven't heard very much of that sort of shit lately. So I, I, I find it hard to believe that those things are going to go away. Well, buddy, what do you think of these? Well, part of it was one of the ones I was reading was designated zones too, where you can drink open containers. You know, it, it says venues and, and entertainment things like that. It also says like, you know, I think it said in there like allocated areas. I don't know, try to find the wording, but, uh, but I mean, if that's even something that could happen where you're just like, hey, at this park, there's this zone where you can go and just crack open up your beer or your cocktail and chill out with your homies and drink. People are going to do that. And people are already doing that. But if there's, you know, the legality behind it isn't there anymore, then it'll be more uh, not shunned upon, I guess. I don't know that it is. But you know what I'm saying? The giving Giving people a little bit more freedom is, is a good thing. And I don't think any, any of those are bad. Uh, like you said, anybody who gives a shit about this industry at all should support this bill. And I agree. I mean, it's one of those things where it all is helpful and doesn't look like it would be hurtful to anybody. So why not? Yeah. I think that, I think for, for myself, it's as I was reading through it, I was just like waiting for, for like that one random ass thing that always gets thrown into these bills, you know, where it's like, it's like, okay. And then we're going to have a designated area where you can have open containers. And then on this section, we're outlining all semi medium dogs because they're the worst. And then we're going, and then we're going to come back. It's like, it's like, wait a minute. What? what? Like what, why, why is this in here? And um, you know, if, if, if the senator's website is to be believed, that's not part of it, which is which is really great. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I I agree with your assessment, Chris. Where it's like you know you're removing a lot of the red tape. I mean, some of the hoops that that people just have to jump through in general in in the state to to open up a business is is crazy. And if we can get rid of some of this licensing issues and and stuff like that, and just really give every restaurant the opportunity to survive um everything that's coming because again we're not we're not out of the woods yet but we're the it's like the the clouds are parting to a certain degree and and as i had mentioned you know this does have um bipartisan support right now which is really really huge i mean i and i don't see anything in here that would make me think that anybody would speak out against this but i mean you know it's politics at the end of the day and we'll see what the counter arguments end up being. But I, I just really hope that there are none. They're just kind of like, yeah, let's save some California businesses and move the fuck on, you know? Well, I think, I think on a, on a greater level than that, like obviously we here at good bottle podcast, we give a shit about, about businesses, right? Like that's, that's where we come from. That's, that's the, sort of the the view that we take that's the lens that we focus on but for our listeners i think there's a lot of things in here that are like culturally relevant um you know being able to consume like buddy said like outside like let's set apart four blocks in these four blocks go ahead man like drink on the street take to-go cups from one bar to the next, like go grab dinner, grab a bottle of wine. Like you're not done drinking a bottle of wine at this wine bar, take it down the street, continue to drink while you're walking down the street. Cause you're a fucking adult and it's fine, you know? And then like walk into the goddamn Italian restaurant that you go down, you know, theoretically, whatever's there, like culturally speaking, that is so huge because 
here in California, like I mentioned before, we like we operate under this like this preconceived fucking puritanical bullshit notion that like four walls and a ceiling somehow make you more responsible. And it's just bullshit, you know, but it's like it really just comes down to I don't I just don't want to see you drinking like I don't care if you drink just like keep that indoors, keep that in in those doors over there. You know, I just I feel I feel very uncomfortable, you know, I think. I think with something like this, you know, like Buddy said, like going to a park, having a barbecue, like that's just normal shit. We all do it. We all know how to do it. We all know how to like empty out a goddamn Gatorade bottle and fill it with fucking, you know, White Claw or whatever, right? Like getting your Faderade on. Like it's bullshit. Like I should be able to like take a delicious bottle of wine and sit in the park and grill with some homies and like let my dogs off the leash and like enjoy the outdoor air. And be a responsible fucking human being with a glass of wine. Those two aren't mutually exclusive. So a lot of stuff in here that like while it while it starts off being about businesses, I think is entirely culturally relevant. And and with the ratcheting and severity of laws, and this just the way politics kind of goes, a lot taking this this chance to get like this wide sweep and this wash of just like common sense shit down into, into regulation, which undoubtedly will be ratcheted back again in the next like 20, 30 years. Um, And to your point, Drew, like someone's going to attach some bullshit onto here, but we have to like, we really have to keep our eye on the prize and just know that like, you know, do, do more good than harm, right? Like this, this, this does a lot of good. So let's just let's just focus on that and and keep going forward. Okay, so this is going to be a very region specific question. So I do apologize for our our people that are that are outside the country and have never been to Sacramento before. And also, Chris, where where was the new country that we had a listener from this past week? Denmark. Denmark. So our new Denmark friend, welcome. Um, I don't know any Denmarkian. Uh, phrases so but welcome here's here. the thing though in denmark if you don't have casa sanchez sorry you're definitely missing I mean, are you even living are you even are you even living so okay so buddy yes here's a scenario you're very familiar with with the sacramento area mm-hmm. if you could have a a place where public consumption was now allowed where where's your place where where are you going like where would you like it to be? I mean, are you thinking like a like a specific like street corner, or are you like sure? A, it could be it could be whatever you want. I mean, this is I, a completely hypothetical obviously, situation. Just obviously just I'm one street like, corner though. Like the other four corners, other yeah. three corners, not allowed. <laughs> Only one corner. I mean, obviously it has to be the southwest corner. Obviously, I'm thinking midtown downtown area, just because that's where a lot of restaurants and nightlife is. You know. Um, why shouldn't you, like Chris was saying, be allowed to, you know, have your pizza at Chicago Fire and walk across the street with your bottle of Windy City Red to Rochambeau and finish it off and then grab a bottle there too? Yeah. Okay. Chris, Robert, what about you? Chicago Fire references. <laughs> Chris, where where is your drinking section of the uh, city? I think I think um, uh, on capital so for those of you outside of outside of the the area capital uh essentially becomes m street 
you know, um, uh, it, it like just supplants it when you hit a certain point in time, mostly because you like, you're standing on a street, you look down the street and you can see the fucking capital. Therefore it becomes capital. Starts um, out on Ambra, but... Does it? Yeah. Capital does. Oh, well, there you go. I'm pretty sure it goes right, in right, right, the other direction. Right by the Safeway. Yeah. Starts at the Safeway and goes all the way to the capital. Yeah, something like that. The capital to the bridge. Somewhere around that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think I think uh, capital around 18th, you know, that like two, three block radius around that, you know, looking at looking at L, looking at N. Um, there's, it's, it's one of the only areas in this town that like really has a lot of like foot traffic. I think that region would be, would just crush, you know, and it's like right in the heart of, of Sacramento too. And I, I think only good things would come out of that. I think eventually other businesses would like petition and it would just grow and grow and grow. Nice. Uh, what, like what about it. you, Drew? What do you, what do you think? Uh, I think I think specifically I would um, I'd really like to see it like on our street uh, where we have like a really cool bar scene already. And what I would do is I would like let's say I start at, at Bottle and Barlow and and I have like our good friend Sean make a drink there. And then I would take it down to Shady Lady and I'd make and I'd go to Vince I'd be like Vince make the same drink. And then I would compare them to each other and be like who is the best and then put it on Facebook and and cause a fight. Like that's what I would do. I'd be like, we're comparing cocktails now. Um, This is the world I want to live in. You're, you're definitely part of Slytherin. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. But I think, I think you brought up a really interesting point earlier, Chris, with like the whole, the whole cultural thing. Like it, it really like, you know, being in those places where they do allow you to, I mean, and again, like I'm not looking for chaos or, or anything like that, but it, it definitely adds an enhancement. I mean, and especially if we're going to have these expanded patios and stuff like this, like, you know, I think it's important moving forward to encourage as much community as possible. And I think this is a really great way to do that. So, um, you know, again, if, if you, if you want to see, you know, our restaurants survive and you want to see a, a really a, a step in the right direction. If, if you're, if you're anti-government, this is a perfect bill for you because they just, they're stripping things away. Like there's just a lot of, there's a lot of benefits here. There's um, you know, and there's, it's just, this is, there's so many good things to like about this. So, um, so again, check it out. It's the, it's the SB 314 and um, tell SB's- your local representative. SB stands for Senate bill, not small batch, by the way. I want to clarify <laughs> that. Yeah. So when you write your representative, make sure you say the right thing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is the return of the sexy bottle. Um, this is a segment where one of us will describe to the others a certain bottle that has recently gone to auction and sold, and it is upon the um, the others to decide what and guess what that price that it sold for. 
Um, we love this section because bottle auctions, I just think are absolutely fascinating to see what people are willing to spend on things. And I am really, really excited about what I was able to find today. Now, you guys have heard me ramble on and on and on about Black Tot Run before. And the story behind Black Tot and everything like that when it comes to the British Royal Navy having rum rations all the way up until 1970 when it was just stripped away from them and all the rum was then uh, gotten rid of in a variety of different ways. Some of it was... I, I love that the story is like stripped away from the sailors, but we're really talking about like military people being being like given rations of rum to consume every day while they're like in the 1970s dealing with like nuclear subs and shit like that so listen i don't understand why you don't care about your veterans and your armed (laughs) service people but this is obviously a big deal um so so you know Yes, they they were giving rum rations up till 1970. Something about mixing drinking with nuclear warheads just not really not really a, a, a positive thing. So you had all of these these vessels and the the removal of the of the tot of the daily tot is what they referred to as like happened in less than a week. So you had legitimately thousands of gallons of rum in various places around the world that just kind of ended up in different spots. Now. Probably the most well-known one is that it ended up with distiller uh, elixir distillers who then vatted the stuff together and released it underneath the Black Tot Last Consignment Bottling, which is a really, really fun rum that you can pick up and it's obviously steeped in history. But one of the ways that they gathered this rum was through what they refer to as um, Royal Navy Imperial Rum Flagons. Flagons were one gallon jars that the rum was then put into and then put onto the various boats and different uh, different things throughout the Royal Navy. And they would pour either out of that or into a bigger vessel and that's how they would transport it. These things were oft, often um, surrounded with like this wicker kind of like with handles and things like that. And there have been a variety of them which have shown up in auctions over the years that that elixir distillers did not get their hands on. And um, as recently as just a few months ago, there was one that sold at auction. And this is um, a one-gallon rum flagon from 1969 that sold. And so my question to you guys is what – do you think the winning bid was for this rum flagon from 1969 that used to be part of the Royal Navy? Chris, you go first. Elixir got it. Really? No, no. So a private a private investor got it. Okay. And they bought it through rum auctioneer. So again, this is this is something that once it's gone, it's gone forever. Yep. There is rum in the bottle, oh. uh, or at least as far as I can tell. Um, so yeah, so Chris, what is your guess at the um, the selling price for okay. this? I have one questions. gallon stone flagon. I have okay. questions. Okay, uh, what is what is used to seal the container? 
seal the container? Yeah, is it a cork? Is it a twist? Is it a cap? Like, is it... What can you see? Um, Let me see here. Let's see if they have a picture of the top. They do not have a... I know I've seen them before. I want to say it's like... It's more stone, and I think they use a cork that goes to the top of it. But it was like sealed with wax because a lot of the ones that I've seen have imprints on it. So it's a pretty, it's there. I mean, obviously there were some that that didn't survive, but a lot of them have. So uh, it is a sealed bottle okay. at this time. Sealed with wax, which means to me that it's like cork, also probably uh, one gallon. Black Tot 69 before it was canceled, which is a big deal. Also, that being said, rum rum people always like a deal. Uh, they, <laughs> they're, uh, they like to pay they're, high price. They're, they don't. They're not the ones that like like you know saying that they spent the money mm-hmm. on a thing. They like like saying they spent they got this deal on the thing. I would I think that this probably went for. Uh, what you like? What condition is the bottle? Is the wicker in? Like, is it frayed? Is it is it clean? It looks is it great. perfect. It's it looks great. All right, I'm gonna I'm my I'm casting my stones in at like uh twenty five grand ish twenty five. Okay, grand. so Chris, Chris is at at twenty five, twenty five grand. Now for our listeners at at home, if you want to participate, what I encourage you to do is pause the podcast go to our instagram page and put your guess on on our page and don't change it when you find out that you're wrong but just put it on there let's get some engagement going so guess what you think it's going to be now buddy do you have any questions for me about this royal navy rum flag uh was it where'd they get it from mm. let's see here It does not say where it was. Okay. Where it was first. Uh, I was gonna shoot for around what Chris was gonna say, but you said that it's in really good shape. Um, but I also no. remember it's a gallon. It's a gallon, and but I also know, like Chris said, rum collectors. <laughs> you know, they don't. They're not gonna spend that kind of money. But but this might not be a rum collector. This might be a historical. Thing. I'm gonna go forty thousand. Okay, buddy's at forty. 000. I think I'm a little high though, but that's that's okay. It, you know what? It's it's not uh, prices right, so you know. It's, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I I think it's what's really fun about this as well, and it really speaks to the history of the um of the of the Royal Navy rum and and things like that. So with each auction item they give you as much information as they possibly can right so in this one the distillery age vintage region bottler cast type bottle strength all that fun stuff distillery not applicable the reason that is they don't know what distillery this came from this rum was often taken from various places and thrown into a big vat and then distributed from there age they don't know vintage they don't know region Caribbean, bottler, <laughs> Royal Navy, 
Cast type, they don't know. Bottle strength, they don't know. <laughs> Bottle size, one gallon. Yeah. <laughs> distillery, st- distillery status, closed. Good for them. Production meth- Production method, they don't know. Base, molasses. So um, my, my guess comes in a little bit high, I think, but I think it's, it's going to be closer to that. And the reason why is I know like Barton Kate paid, I think, almost, what, 20 grand, I think, for that Ray and Nephew 17. Was that was that what like the the word on the street was? It was around twenty grand he paid for it. Yeah, yeah, but so, he won't. Okay, he so, won't say where yeah, he so, got it. Yeah, he won't say what it was. So I'm going to for our listeners at home. Forty. So our, for our listener, Martin Kate is the owner of Smuggler's Cove in San Francisco, as well as a couple other uh, tiki bars and uh, and a gin bar, and um, he is has one of the biggest room collections in the world, and got one of the original Ray and Nephew. Uh, rums from Jamaica that is was supposed to be in the original Mai Tai. Yep. Is that correct. correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously it's something they no longer produce, and it was uh, and it's a it's a price point that he actually won't discuss with people. He just he just will say that he has one. Um, there is a note on this that says, due to the various ages of bottles and their seals, condition of liquid is at the buyer's discretion, and no claim can be lodged against fill, uh, failure, leakage, and transit. So. Um, so I think that's kind of fun. If you can imagine paying a bunch of money for something, kind of like, we hope it makes it there. Good luck. <laughs> not. You know? Um, so, so I think, so again, we're going to, gonna... to me, that reads as, as someone's like, yes, as soon as this sells, I'm putting a Corvin in this. <laughs> so and i did find that it is it is sealed with wax and it was actually even though it it says it's a 1969 um on the on the initial heading it's actually it actually is 1970 as an embossing date which is kind of like why would you put 69 on there like i don't know but um so so there's that does do, do either one of you want to adjust your adjust your guess based on the fact that it's actually from 1970 and yeah. not from 1969. Okay. $2, $2.01 is my new guess. $2.01? Okay. $2.01. That's it. Yeah. That's a, that's a great guess. So, so this actually sold at auction for 1,050 euros, which based on uh, our currency in in America, here, it was one thousand two hundred and fifty three dollars, which means that we could have pulled some funds together and we could have our own freaking rum flagon, but we obviously weren't paying attention. That's so nothing. <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I mean, I think it speaks to to just like the general lack of respect for rum in the world. Um, I also think that. Even if you're not even looking at it through the lens of of a rum drinker, if you if you are a collector, there's not a whole lot of things to hang your hat on that I think impresses that crowd. You know what I mean? Um, you don't know what's in it. You don't know how much is in it because it's a it's a clay one gallon jar. I mean, it could have leaked out years ago. Um, or some of it leaked out. You just don't know or how it was stored. I mean, again, it, it looks great, but what does that really mean? You know, for the liquid on the inside. Um, and you know, not having. You I mean you have the 1970 date on it, but you don't have it in terms of like date on the liquid. So I mean, it it kind of makes sense, but at the same time, you're kind of like like wow, this is a legitimate 
piece of history that clearly doesn't make waves in the in the auction scene. So um, that whole well, thing I, 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 for it. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> feel like was. I feel like it's really important to mention that um, that price is essentially what a bar charges for that bottle for a new bottle. Right for the last well, last I think consignment, that's what, I think that's what it cost now for a new bottle. They, they Which actually, you know, it's, yeah, it's 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 interesting. So, um, so the last consignment is part of my portfolio now, and I was recently having a conversation with um, with someone about it, and they looked up the price of the former distributor compared to us now because they still have some of the bottles left. There is like roughly like a four hundred dollar difference between us and them. Wow. So. If you're looking for that bottle, call Drew. Meaning call the other guy. Meaning the other distributor charged more. Yeah, four hundred dollars more than us. Wow. Because they and they, we have it. They were up to, I think, around nine hundred to almost a thousand when I yeah. think yeah, we our last it's over bottle. that now. So um so I think it was which I thought was really interesting. Wow. I mean, but at the same time, it's like you know, you're talking about you're talking about liquid that again, once it's gone, it's uh Yeah, it's, it's a fucking forever. ghost bottle, man. Like one exactly. Like you will never get it again. That's it. Totally. Got yeah. So hey, those were great guesses. I look forward to hearing what our what our listeners thought. I mean, yeah, you guys I mean, we're a little bit out of practice. When when Chris and I were doing this a little bit more consistently, we got pretty good at guessing different things and you start to understand the auction market a little bit more. We are clearly way out of way out of shape yeah but you know uh, i mean here's the thing man like rum like rum is that like we've said is that like it, it it's chaos right because you you never know what is going to take like for us like buddy myself you drew i i feel like we appreciate what this thing is so much that we're like okay compared to everything else that we know within context but rum doesn't fall within context like rum is totally its own thing and it's 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 a live wire man like it's all over the fucking place no one no one knows what's gonna like my guess is like an appleton 21 from fucking 1986 would probably fucking go for more especially for fucking for that like are you kidding me like of course how could that not be the most expensive fucking bottle that went for rum in recent history well, it sounds like that Ray and Nephew 17 is. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see if I can find an Appleton 21 for you and see. I have an Appleton 21. Oh, no. Fortunately, that. From the 1980s? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think when it comes to, to this stuff, it's, we're, we're always going to overvalue it. it and, you know, we're going to continue to get hurt because we're rum fans and that's what happens when you're a rum fan. And it's, it's funny. I heard uh, um, today that my boss is actually starting to get on the rum bandwagon and, and thinks it's like the next big thing. And it's like, Oh, sweetheart. <laughs> like I, I wish it was, it's not, it, it's not, we've been saying that for years. It's not, it's not going to be the thing. Too many people are hung up on, on spice rum. Too many people are hung up on, bad situations it's just it's not it's not the play man it's not the play it's it's definitely better than most but no it's not the next big thing 
You know who's dope? Them over there. And now time for my favorite section where we get to share what we think are super dope things that you guys should also be following. This could be another podcast. Hopefully not that, but it could be. Uh, Instagram accounts, Facebook pages, newsletters, books, movies, documentaries, Chicago Fire Training Manuals, Casa Sanchez Instagram posts. I don't know. It could be any of these things. Buddy, what's your dope follow this week? My dope follow is uh, I'm going to go with Strongwater Anaheim Instagram. They are doing some really dope things. They have been throughout the pandemic. Um, Their food looks amazing. I I still haven't been there. Um, I did get to meet the owners. Uh, They came into Jungle Bird about a month before Strongwater opened. Um, But I've only heard good things about the bar, the decor, which they'll they'll be opening up hopefully soon. They do have a new mug coming out. It's called the Zombie King. It looks pretty fucking cool. Um, So yeah, Strongwater is my my follow, dope follow of the week or wherever because uh, they're just doing dope shit. I mean, check out their Instagram. Uh, their Instagram is very on theme of like an undertow type bar with uh, a lot of nautical dark pictures, but just dope shit. And they're nice okay. people. Well, ultimately that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. When did they open? I don't know their opening date. I could probably check it out real quick here. It, I mean, it was like two years ago. Yeah. But they also do like other cool shit. They have like a a gift card coin, like a fifty dollar coin that they did. It's a really cool. Um, they do some cool shit. So uh, they open, I think, in. I I guess they open around. Uh, shit, about a year ago, I guess. Maybe a little less, maybe more. But oh, I'm looking at I'm looking at their new Zombie King mug. It's cool. <laughs> that is a very cool mug. I am in the process of purging mugs, so I cannot buy it, but that is a cool mug. It's looking like they opened in November of 2019, so just right before everything hit the fan. I know how that goes. <laughs> but they're cool. Cool cool bar. Cool cool uh, atmosphere from what I've been told. Uh, I haven't been there, but have gotten good reviews from fellow Tiki connoisseurs. Um, but just like I said, they're still doing really cool shit outside their, their outdoor patio is doing, looks awesome. They're doing like a thing on the street. Um, they've been doing to goes and their to go packaging even looks awesome. Uh, they're kicking ass. Very cool. Okay. So strong water Anaheim, you guys, I'm looking at their Instagram right now and it's all very on brand. Unlike some of our previous follows before where there's things that were weird on it. This is not the case. This is all very on brand. I really like their logo too. Yeah. It's got a good, good logo. Logo's dope. Uh, okay. Chris, your dope follow this week. What you got? Yeah. So, uh, uh, I've got a book this time. Gross. Really, really ever, uh, speaking about the reading things. Um, but this one has struck me as particularly entertaining and uh, poignant, and I I love it, and I just wanted to sh- to share that with people. It's a new book I'm reading. It's called The Sum of Us: What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper. Uh, it sounds boring and awful and uh, sad and judgy uh, 
and judgy. Um, uh, it, it is not uh, really what it, uh, it is written by Heather McGee. Uh, and it is, it breaks down concepts uh, of institutional racism uh, uh, put into practice through uh, procedure and what have you. Uh, she, she starts off the book with this lovely um, analogy discussing uh, these discussing public pools, public pools in the 1950s, 1960s were, were uh, free to all white people uh, in, you know, the Jim, Jim Crow era. And they were huge. I mean, we're talking like thousand person pools, giant diving boards, diving platforms, uh, water slides. They were, they were these resort type things. And then in the 1960s, when uh, people of color started really like, gaining their own and uh, uh, started suing uh, when they uh, had enough money cities that they were a part of say, look, our, our tax dollars go to this. We should also be able to go and swim there. And so city councils and, you know, local governments would drain the pools and that's it. Just say, okay, well, now no one can have it because you wanted to have some of it because you wanted to just be able to show up. And so the entire book is based around this analogy of how of how racism hurts everyone and how bucking that concept can actually help everyone. Uh, it's it's an awesome book. It's uh it's not <laughs> it's not as like terrifying and depressing as I probably make it sound. It's, it's actually a page turner. It's a lot of fun to read and is like extremely consumable. And uh, I'm personally have not finished the book yet. I'm about like a, uh, like a third or half way through. I I really enjoy it. And I, I strongly suggest other people go, go out and read and, and learn a little bit of the thing. Nice. I like it. All right, Drew, what's your follow? Um, it's definitely, um, just as heavy as yours and very serious as well. (laughs) And I hope people learn a lot from following it. It's on Instagram. It's called wrestle botch and it basically just (laughs) compiles botched wrestling moves that occur in, uh, the WWE, AEW, new Japan wrestling impact wrestling ring of honor all the things they do fun stuff like supercell sundays where they give a, a little credit they give credit and do run clips of guys who sell the moves the best and they do like mongo mondays this horrible horrible wrestler um from the 90s and just show highlights of him and it just cracks me up i love wrestling so much and WrestleBotch is hilarious. And just some of the things that happen on that page are just, they're, they're so great and they're so funny and wrestling is already ridiculous when they mess up. It's even more ridiculous. So, so that's WrestleBotch, um, B O T C H. And, um, it's, it's quite, it's quite the rabbit hole to go down. And, um, 
and it's just it's such a great account they do they do such a great job and it's one of numerous wrestling accounts that i follow on instagram but by far my favorite one and if you need a laugh wrestlebotch that's the that's the account for you sid vicious is on here a lot <laughs> oh yeah sid's sid is all over that bad boy like um not not a terribly talented wrestler. <laughs> big, big dude, scary guy, not great at wrestling. Um, so, yeah, check it out. It's it's fun. And, and unfortunately, what will end up happening is like then you'll probably follow like 80s, 90s wrestling and all the other pages that it just kind of leads you down that rabbit hole. So, Godspeed to all of you. I don't know what's going on with the sound. Sorry, guys. I love you. There we go. <laughs> the... Okay, well, whatever. Good Bottle Podcast is brought to you by Fluid Concepts. And the music is brought to you by the Moore Brothers because you always want just a little bit more. Also, I'm just going to throw it out there because Leon was so happy about it last time I said it. Motherfucker's still single, so y'all want to get out there and listen to some music? Y'all, y'all go and like hit this fool up um, because he's, uh, you know, he's getting a little desperate. Uh, sorry, Leon. You know, he's, uh, you know, he, he needs a little loving. And uh, I feel like if you like this podcast, you'll probably like him. Probably he's, you know, he's obnoxious sometimes. He's Australian, but it really, he's just a really sweet guy. And and I'm sad to say, because it probably says more about me than it does him. He's also one of my closest friends. So uh, there, there you go. Uh, and before we go and kill these bottles that we are drinking, we ask that if you have enjoyed this episode, because obviously you have, uh, please go and subscribe and smash the five-star review, five-star button and leave us a nice little review. I think it's important to also say that Leon's looking great right now. He's been uh, sure. on like a health, a health bench for a year. And he's, a looking car. Very, he's looking very toit. He's looking very toit <laughs> like a tiger. Um, and then to, to piggyback the Australian thing, he's golfing if, 80 guys, he's yeah, in, in, with with the Australian thing, if you like send him messages and stuff and he thanks you, he'll always be like, Thanks, mate. And you're kinda like, Cool, thanks, Crocodile Dundee. That's great. <laughs> That's um what I want to do. So yeah, I guess I guess we're just I guess we're doing match.com stuff for, for Leon. He also he also makes like amazing cocktails. So whatever whatever you're into, if you want to be called mate and get a good cocktail, Leon's your guy. Um so uh, <laughs> you can, right. you can, ladies, ladies. He runs the bar at Alora in Sacramento, so you know, have that. Yeah, he's, there's some fancy, there's some fancy stuff out there. Um, uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast, or you can follow us on our personal accounts, D Garrison Six and Chris Sinflair. Buddy, what's uh, what's your social media handles? What, what, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, Buddy Newbie on Instagram. Very, very uh. Uh, original <laughs> and then uh i'm rarely on facebook uh, so just instagram is the only way to get a hold of me really or you can call me if you have my number you can call me 
Call Buddy if you have his number. We're not going to give it to you here. You have to earn it. But you can give me a call. You know what? I'll give it to you on here if you really want me to. Um, You can also support the podcast and our desire to own the entire wine list of Chicago Fire Pizza by checking out anchor.fm slash Podcast. (sighs) And if you would like for us to cover a story or if you want to send us a message in a bottle – uh, or, you know, to Buddy. Uh, if you're working with a brand that wants to be featured, or if you want that uh, that brand to be featured around the message that the bottle, that the message gets placed into, uh, you can email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. That was like the most confusing email pitch. Of all Whatever, Drew, shut up. Just do your thing. <laughs> um, and as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode, except for Buddies because it's no longer made anymore, at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time. Thanks again, boys. Cheers. You're the best, buddy. <laughs> Let's get that man some wine so he can learn something. God damn it, buddy. I love your fucking face. One of these days, I'll have some. Leon, we love you, mate. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Give us a go, Basha.